Welcome to the Sea Level Conversations podcast. Do you want to learn how leaders make their hardest decisions and why? Then you're in the right place. Join us for inspirational and educational interviews with dynamic senior executives across all industry sectors, sharing real-life lessons and practical tips to elevate your career as a leader. And now, here is your host, Amrutha Morali. Leaders have had to step up in a big way in the last 12 months and will continue to have to do so in the recovery ahead. It was a learning experience for everyone, but one that clarified the importance of positive leadership. It seems counterintuitive to suggest that work should be fun, right? Our whole lives we've been taught, work hard and play hard. But why can't work be fun in itself? Positive company culture is the best way to keep your employees and attract new ones. A fun culture comes from the energy and the vibe of your workplace and it's up to the leaders to set the tone for their team. Today's guest is Dean Talbot, Chief Sales and Service Officer. He has worked in C-suite executive leadership positions with leading customer-centric Australian banks for over 20 years. Today he explains the role a leader plays in developing a positive culture, how a fun positive culture contributes to productivity and why leaders must encourage people to be themselves completely at workplaces. Welcome Dean, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you Amrita, it's a pleasure to be here. Your mantra is to develop a positive culture for your teams. So before we dive into that, can you take us through your journey and what experiences led you to your mantra? It all stems from my really early involvement as a, as a young man growing up in a sporting environment. And one of the things I always appreciated about the coaches that I had when I was young and growing up was that they always brought a sense of fun to training and to, uh, and to the games. And, and that's just something that stuck with me. So as I moved into um, my professional life, it was just something that I always felt I wanted to carry through because I just found it it made the environment and, and the people around the environment that much more productive when when people are, are having fun and enjoying themselves. And I, I guess that's where it all come from. The culture in banking is traditionally conservative and banks are adopting an aggressive sales culture to remain competitive. So in your view, why is it important to introduce a fun culture? Well, I think it's even more important in, in an environment like banking because, um, as you said, the, the environment is typically conservative. I, I think to, to bring that sort of environment to a to a banking and a corporate environment is even more important that you, you highlight it because it can be a little bit cumbersome and, dare I say, boring if if you don't try and make it fun. The other, the other part of that from my point of view is that I'm not trying to make it a, a, a positive place and a place where... Uh, people really enjoy to come to, then I feel that people aren't going to be their authentic selves and they're not going to act naturally and they're not, they're not going to be themselves in the context of seeing, seeing their customers. And you know, the more relaxed, the more enjoyment and the more fun you can bring to, a, to an environment, the more authentic and real that environment actually is. And I guess that realness from my point of view is something I'm very passionate about because it is quite infectious in my experience i think the customers 
really, really appreciate. We'll come back to talk about this in more detail later. First, for our listeners, can you tell us about your journey in banking so far? Absolutely, Amritha. Um, so my career originally started at NAB, but it'd be a long time ago now. Uh, I worked right through all the branch roles that sat within the NAB at that particular time, learn and harness what was the NAB's retail banking culture. And from there, uh, went into some leadership roles. And those leadership roles were very diverse in nature. Some of them were very sales and service orientated. Some of them were very operational or operationally uh, minded. Uh, And what I discovered throughout that is that it just enhanced my views that one, we can all influence culture. We can all be leaders in our own right in the way that we go about our work on a day-to-day basis. And so I just continually tried to reaffirm things as I went through. And after 18 years, I got an opportunity to go and work for a mutual bank uh, called Defence Bank and were there uh, for nine years. And I really didn't have a, a good sense of what mutual banking was until I started with Defence Bank. And, and it was certainly a very big eye-opener for me when I left the NAB world, which is essentially all I had known in my working career to move to Defence Bank. Didn't you mention sport? What sort of sport did you play? I played a lot of junior sport in basketball and Australian rules football and um, was lucky enough to take the football career into a senior and professional environment. How interesting. I can see where your uh, fun, positive and collaborative uh, leadership traits stem from. Now, when you moved from NAB to Defence Bank, one of the biggest challenges you faced uh, would have been the culture. How is it different to a big bank? That is a really, really good question, Amrita. It was the best way I can describe that was it, it felt like I'd gone into in a time capsule and I'd gone back 20 or 30 years. It was it was very different. The systems were a lot different. Um, the roles were a lot different. The mentality of the people was a lot different. But in so many ways, in so many ways, that difference was so positive. Um, there was such a passion for the customers and such a strong connection to the bond. And that was my first understanding of what the true sense of mutual banking actually meant. And, you know, that deep-seated link to a heritage, that bond that they had to the military and that respect that they had for the Australian Defence Force was, from my point of view, completely awe-inspiring. And I wanted to harness that and continue to to utilise that, our advantage or Defence Bank's advantage, because it was an extremely rare thing. And from my point of view, it was around just you know, sharpening different elements of that culture, but harnessing what was really what was really positive and, and joyous about that culture and mindset. So how do you go about developing a positive fun culture at Defence Bank? Yeah, that's another really good question. Um, first and foremost, if I looked at myself as a person, I'm very people-orientated. I've done a lot of you know, leadership quizzes and leadership workshops and the like, but if you strip back who I am as a person, I'm I'm very very people orientated. So that that's the first that's the first thing I guess is really important um, the people orientation part. But 
the one thing that I've learned on my journey, whether it's through, and I'm I'm going to make reference to sport again because there's lots of things that where the synergies are created. But everyone's everyone that you meet, whether it's staff or customer or teammate, has got a story to tell. And one of the things that I've always tried to emphasise in terms of my people orientation is to is is to listen and 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 try and understand what each and every person's story is. And I guess that level of care and empathy tends to resonate with people once they have that level of trust. And once that level of trust has been established, it's then about, you know, continuing to build that relationship and solidify the relationship. And I think from my point of view, no one goes to work every day or no one plays in a team to do a bad job. It's really just about uh, getting that level of understanding of what their key drivers are and harnessing that to the best of your ability. And I think that's the that's the key element to leadership. From there, it's just about being who you are. And being who you are, for me, is fun and lighthearted and lots of different things that you can do on a day-to-day basis around, you know, making sure that you're celebrating success, making sure that you're recognising people on their birthday and making sure if they achieve a service anniversary or things of that magnitude that you can do on a day-to-day basis. And as long as you're consistent with that and as long as you're consistently showing that you care, that you know their story and you remember their story and you can reference their story, then, you know, that goes a long way to to building the culture that certainly resonates with me and something that I really have really always tried to harness when uh, I've walked into any environment whether it's sport or or business if you bring yourself to work and you're authentic and you love the environment you work for then that's really conducive to the success of the organization very true how do you get your staff to uh, align with what culture you're trying to drive you know it does it's not always the same what they think of culture and what you as a leader are thinking of culture doesn't always align Oh, there's been many. There's been many times, Emmeruth, where not not everyone makes it on the journey. The thing with that is that being authentic and being real equates to both sides. So you know, we're we're talking about being fun and joyous and creating an environment that's enjoyable. But part of that responsibility is to also keep it real. And so one of the one of the mantras that I've always sworn by is that if if you create a purpose and you create a vision and you have a set of values that people don't necessarily align to, that's okay. Don't try and kid them that that's the circumstances and that they're going to fit. So be honest and give them the opportunity. And if they don't, then then it's up to them to self-select out. And I think that is, that's part of it. In order to drive the culture that you want, there needs to be absolute honesty in terms of what that all looks like. So without honesty, it's just not going to work and it's just not going to tie together. You mentioned some key points there, Dean. Leaders need to be honest and not everyone is going to come on the journey. In my 20 years of recruitment experience, I found the key to retention is employing people whose values align with that of the company. Dean, can you share with us uh, from your experience what you would recommend for leaders who want to implement a fun culture in their teams? First and foremost, be yourself. That is one of the things that I, I wouldn't say annoyed, but one of the things that I've probably 
tended to be a bit rebellious around is this whole mandate that people believe that as a CEO or as a, an executive or as a manager that you need to act in a certain way. So from my perspective, authenticity overrides everything else. Now, that's not to say that there are situations and circumstances where that needs to be considered, people's behaviours needs to be measured. But this whole notion that, you know, your role defines how you act, I think doesn't bring to the fore the true attributes of the individual. So first and foremost, the one thing I would say and ask people to consider that are listening to this is, are they bringing their authentic self every single day? Second of all, one of the things that I think we're seeing in terms of the, the generational change is that title and role and hierarchy do not actually mark any any entitlement any longer. And it is not an automatic marker for respect. Um, and what we're seeing with with this generation of, of young corporate people coming through that, you know, if they don't feel attached to the purpose and they don't feel as though that the leader, their people leader has got their back and is caring and empathetic and, and wanting to invest in them as a person and, and grow them as a person, then they will just self-select out. And so so what we're seeing is we're seeing this transference of power where historically it was the senior leader or the boss who would dictate and tell and it was very autocratic by nature. But what we're seeing is now that you know the, the good organizations and the and and the great leaders are coming to the fore because of their agility and their responsiveness to to adapt to the change. And the thing that I'll encourage everyone to consider is in response to that change, are they being responsive and are they are they being agile in terms of their leadership approach? And because the, the danger is if you're not, then you're going to miss the boat. That's a really good point you raised about the younger people, how if they do not connect with the purpose of the company, they will self-opt out. Uh, with the increasing normalization of work from home comes the challenge of developing a positive and engaged sort of culture. So how did you overcome that? Now, you're based in Melbourne and you had extended lockdowns last year. It was about consistency. So for me, it didn't matter being in the office or being at home. It was about consistency of behavior. So it was essentially maintaining the, those same behaviors that I would in the office. The, the hardest thing in the world for me, and I, sorry, and I talked about those a little bit, those recognition pieces before around birthdays and service anniversaries and celebrating success. The hardest thing for me was the inability, inability to travel and catch up with people and, and do it on a face-to-face basis and, you know, go out with teams and so on. So, so effectively, you know, we just moved those exact same conversations into into the Zoom environment, into the digital world. So, you know, I made sure that all new inductees into our organisation uh, I met with over Zoom because um, I would have normally got the opportunity to meet them as I was out and about travelling. Whatever mechanisms that we were utilising on a face-to-face basis to celebrate success, we just we basically just replicated that with the utilisation of, of digital technology. And, you know, one of the things that I always just focused on every day is staying connected and how do I do that? Um, continuing to celebrate the milestones that that we achieved, you know, using the mediums that were put to us to still maintain that that level of fun. And the the other important thing from a in that in that sort of environment is that 
you know, the initiatives that we were running strategically were very much in line with improvements to how do we make the member experience better, how do we make the, the lives better of staff by, you know, eliminating process and those sort of things. So the more that we could share on the progress of the initiatives that were happening, the more we stayed connected. So it was just it was just a consistency of behaviour, really, Amrutha, that was the key in that really challenging time. Yes, and it's I think it's more important than ever for leaders to be present and to stay connected with your staff. Absolutely, it's it's not an excuse to to not stay connected when you're working from home. And I would absolutely acknowledge that you know day to day it presented different challenges around the connectivity, but you know it was always a a mantra of mine that not only would I try and stay connected, but I challenge myself every single day. How can I add value to someone's life? Um, and that might be just, you know, through a simple approval or an authorization or uh, elimination of process, or it, it could be something major like supporting a training plan, or it's really just about breaking it down and trying to maintain that consistency on, on how you can actually add value day to day and challenging yourself on it. In your experience, um, you know, has work from home actually affected productivity? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say uh, I'd say it's probably made us more productive. I'd say it has enhanced our necessity to prioritise certain strategic objectives that sat within the plan. What it did prove to us was how agile as an organisation we could be. In a very short time frame, we moved around 90 staff to, to being able to work fully remotely. That included a, a centralised contact centre team. So we, we did prove to ourselves that just really focusing around outcomes and not on whether it's the bureaucracy of process and the protocols that sit behind some of that meant that we could actually move things really quickly and be really agile. So it, it did actually bring about some really, really positive change given the fact that we did need to move so swiftly to be adaptable to the circumstance that was thrown in front of us. It's interesting, isn't it, how uh, in a situation like that we tend to put aside all differences and get very focused on achieving things really quickly. Yeah, it is. It is. I think you'll find that a lot of organisations have used, have got a lot of learnings out of this, and a lot of the learnings are actually extremely positive. Um, you know, there's there's obviously some challenges with small business, and there'll continue to be some challenges with small business whilst, you know, there's still a degree of uncertainty around. But organisationally, for the achievements to have happened as they have, in terms of people, you know, remote capability, I think organisations will take stock and, and say, you know, what led to a lot of those decisions being made? And, it, and it'll all stem back to, you know, the elimination of bureaucracy and making sure that at the end of the day, it was a very outcome-focused period of time. Yes, absolutely. Now, as a curious leader, how do you continue to learn? Yeah, that's easy. It's there's a whole there's a whole different range of things. I'm presently studying uh, my masters, and that's in a in a literal learning sense. I'm I'm finding that that's really stretching some of my boundaries around process, and that, that's being done in a fully remote environment too. So I must admit, sitting there staring at a screen for sustained periods of time is uh, 
is extremely challenging. The other one is that constant desire to meet people and, and talk to people and understand their story. That natural curiosity I have and that natural people orientation means that I find myself always learning because I'm constantly getting you know, updated on what's going on in their world and their environment. And, and that's both professionally and personally. I make I make no secret about the fact that, you know, I'm I'm curious as to what's going on in their lives. And it's not it's not to try and be invasive in any way, shape or form. Um, it's really just about, you know, showing that level of care. And I just think, again, I consolidate the point that every single person has a story to tell. And I think that natural curiosity brings out the best in, in people. I completely agree with you. So what is your vision for the next five years? I think the one thing that I have discovered on this journey is that the importance of being yourself means that you stay true to your values and you stay true to who you are as a person, I think. And that also should reflect in, you know, your career goals and the organisation you work for. So over the next five years, from, from my point of view, whatever role that I look to next, it's not necessarily going to be about title. It's it's about, it is all about the corporate values. It is all about aligning to a set of ideals that I can really relate to and believe in. You know, I, I alluded to that mindset of this generation that, are, that this next generation are coming through around really wanting to connect to a purpose. And it is something something that fundamentally that I want to continue to be true to. So my my vision is is fairly broad. It'll be something primarily where I can get that level of growth that I want to get in terms of you know new, new opportunities and new experiences. But it'll be it'll be also about making sure that I can attach myself to a, to a set of corporate values ideals that I really believe in. If you were to pose a challenge to our listeners on one thing that they can do immediately as a step towards creating a positive work culture, what would that be? Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, I think I think that the the first thing and I would say to, to the listeners is to challenge themselves every single day when they when they wake up and go through their routine, or whether it's getting a coffee first thing or going for a run or going for a walk, is to actually ask themselves how do they think that they're going to add value to someone else on that day. And for me, that's the most uplifting and joyous thing that I can do and it is something I challenge myself on every single day. And if you continue to live by that mantra consistently and people see that behaviour and, and that mindset, then that can have a real and ripple effect across an organisation. So I think that would be the one thing that I would challenge everyone uh, over the course of the next week to, to do. That's an awesome challenge, Dean. Where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, I am on LinkedIn primarily. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a tweeter per se. Um, so um, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Visit jobfits.com.au for show notes and the link to connect with Dean. Thank you, Dean, for sharing your journey and experiences on building a fun culture. The key takeaway for me has been leaders can thrive by creating a work environment where their team feels comfortable to be their authentic self. Thank you so much, Amrita. It was a pleasure and uh, enjoy. Remember to head on over to the show notes on jobfits.com.au where you'll find the links to connect and key takeaways from this conversation. Thank you for your company on the C-Level Conversations podcast with Amruta Murali. 